0: UmGoBlue.com by fans for fans since
1: 1999.
0: Hello, welcome to this edition of the UmGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Derringer.
0: And we're going to talk about the upcoming game Michigan 5 and 0 headed to face the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Well, Clint, how does the SP Plus project this one?
1: Yes, I made a big note. Uh, on twitter about how the sp plus uh projection lines up almost exactly with the the current line from from vegas the betting line sp plus has michigan by 3.6 points and uh the, the line right now is three and a half michigan a three and a half point favorite so having that to be uh almost exact the same um it makes me wonder if it's kind of they're kind of reverse engineering a lot of the same work that sp plus does to crunch these uh these numbers the projection also for the total points right was uh was 50 or 51 and i think uh the sp plus said 27 24 51 (laughs) 51 points so um they had exactly the same output for this week but both uh Right now, at least, both uh expect Michigan to win a close one by by a field goal or so.
0: So Clint, you had uh, you mentioned your Twitter feed, so uh, you had a prominent mention. Would you like to talk about that?
1: yeah, i was I was talking about um the same thing that we were just mentioning and and said that it's not good for betters um when sp plus and the lines are exactly the same because typically people that are that are betting on the games look for a big difference right where the where the vegas line does not line up with what the analytics are saying so where those where there are big gaps typically that's where you'll find the best opportunities to try to you know that the analytics are catching something that that vegas doesn't know so to speak so i mentioned that um and Bill Connolly retweeted and said that it's he takes it also as a bad sign for the for the metrics for the SP Plus system because clearly you know they're, <laughs> if they're lining up then then somebody you know there, there's no opportunity there so it's function it's it's usability is reduced it's not good <laughs> for the model that's supposed to try to find the best gambling opportunities. And, uh, it lines up exactly with, uh, with all of the lines. So he expects kind of a high variance week in terms of performance for his prediction model. With everything being so close, he, he feels like he's got, you know, 65 coin flips on his hands and no idea what it's going to mean for his own performance. So it was, it was funny. He's, uh, he's kind of on the edge of his seat with his own, uh, <laughs> with his own work going on right now. So um i don't i don't feel too bad for him after he's been trolling Michigan the last couple weeks with uh you know talking about them moving into the top 10 and being one of only four teams that hasn't trailed this year and bringing all of the uh all of the jinx power that he he feels like he's got now that he's at ESPN he's been throwing that out there so i'm glad he's a little bit on pins and needles with his own system this week to turn fair play
0: Well, and for those who aren't aware, Bill Connolly is the originator of the SP+, right?
1: Yes, he he created the model, uh, I want to say, in the late 2000s. It's been uh, just over 10 years, I think, that he's been uh, publishing his work. Again, the system is uh, intended to be kind of forward-looking and projection-based, so that, like I was talking about, you could look for, for opportunities where the analytics think that one team's going to win by a lot and the, uh, the the betting line expects a close game. You know, typically those are where your, your best opportunities are. So it it spits out a projected score between the two teams and you can, you can try to use that information to, um, to try to find out where, uh, where the line might be off or, or, you know, there might be too much money on one side of the betting line that you could take out the opportunity um, to catch and, and also you can use it to project the, you know, where there might be a, an opportunity in the over-under, betting the, the over-under on the total points scored in the game.
0: Well, I was excited to see uh, your work get recognized nationally, so I thought that was really cool that, that he did that, and I just wanted to make sure that we highlighted it. So, before we start breaking down and jumping into the Nebraska game, what are your final thoughts? on michigan wisconsin
1: well i th- i think it was another situation that michigan did what we uh what we expect them to do right they played well and uh, the scoreboard rewarded them for playing well you know i i just i, I want to start on a positive note because the main takeaway is that that was wisconsin team was not good um by wisconsin standards you know by any means right and and especially their offensive line their, their offensive line um was in shambles really they, they the two tackles just did not play well or not having a good season to this point and, and like i said the i think their best lineman is their center and uh he got poked in the eye in the pregame and didn't play so the fact that they were discombobulated and michigan took advantage of that is great for michigan but it doesn't uh, you know it's, it's a little bit of a downer that still, I'm not, I'm not sure that we've seen, uh, that full complete performance against a team that's at their best. Um, but it doesn't mean that Michigan can't do it, just that it hasn't happened y- yet. Um, now on the opposite side, Wisconsin's defense, that is a really, really great unit. They were at full strength. They had all of their full personnel. So for Michigan to put up 38 points against Probably the best defense on their schedule is really, really a great sign. I, I think the game plan was very, very sharp. I think uh, Josh Gaddis punished Wisconsin for really selling out against the run and, and showed that he's gonna uh, look for explosive plays vertically down the field. And um, not only did that work against Wisconsin, but also he put that into you know the front of it, of the minds of every defensive coordinator. Uh, on the rest of Michigan's schedule that, you know what, if you're going to sell out and stop our run game, then we're going to try to take advantage of that through the air with uh, some really, really fast and and athletic receivers who also showed that they can really make a play on the ball in the air, right? It's really some acrobatic catches and really good hands from those guys on the outside, particularly Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson. So those are the main takeaways from Wisconsin. Still want to see... Um, this coming week, I, I really am am interested to see the defense put together a really full 60-minute, tremendous performance against uh, Nebraska because I think their offense is uh, is, is like Wisconsin's on steroids, all right? With with really a, a solid run game, uh, a dual-threat quarterback that uh, can cause problems in different ways, and uh, Michigan's really going to have to dig deep into their bag of tricks to try to uh, confuse Adrian Martinez and, and and create some mistakes.
0: One of the things that I loved about Michigan's game plan versus Wisconsin was, you know, you mentioned how Wisconsin's defense is one of the best squads that Michigan will face this season. I love that Josh Gattis came out and attacked with that flea flicker for Michigan's first touchdown and um, that's the play that I broke down in our in our playbook on the website uh, this week, if anybody wants to go check that out. And, again, just perfectly executed, taking advantage of Wisconsin's aggression. To And I really think that it helped set the tone for, you know, punching them in the nose and kind of getting them, um, you know, kind of getting them off balance. Um, one of the things that uh, Coach Harbaugh talked about in his, Press conference this week was how even though Hassan Hoskins and Blake Coram didn't have huge runs, they still had really good days. It's just that they had kind of set such a high level of expectation with those 50-yard runs in the early games that perhaps people weren't appreciating uh, eight and nine-yard runs.
2: Yeah, some good tough yards being made. Uh, you know, the uh, you know the big runs were like eight and nine. Um, and it's very rare you get a 50 yard run in a season you know let alone to think that that would be happening every single game but you know three four, eight nine those are those are big runs those are those are those are big plays um, so I would assess it that uh, you know once again they they really ran they ran hard um, hassan's some of hassans you know, best stuff was, you know, pushing J.J. in on the quarterback sneak. I mean, that was the tremendous, with the enthusiasm that he did that with and, uh, you know, the strength, you know, to push J.J. those last six inches over the line. You know, just little stuff that he does all the time. He's such a, he's such a great football player. And the other thing is Blake Quorum is tough. That is a tough dude. Uh, I mean, some of, the, some of the hits he took you know, would have killed a lesser man. Uh, so, tremendous respect for for um, for Blake Corm and, and the other guys. I mean, there was some there was some hitting going on, there was some some tackling going on, and those guys just jump right back to their feet. And sometimes, I mean, that's more impressive than a you know a sixty yard breakaway touchdown run. Like I said before, I mean, they really they really listen to the coaching, they really embrace it, and they do their best to execute it. And and they do that in practice. They do that uh, in meetings. They do that in games, and yeah, it's that's what I would attribute it to. I mean, they really they really listen, and uh, they embrace it.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think that that's the case. And and when we were watching Michigan really just steamroll uh, Washington in the uh, in the second game of the year, you know. After reviewing the tape and then getting together to talk about it, we were wondering why Washington didn't adjust. They never really uh, adjusted their defensive alignment and brought that extra guy into the box to sell out against the run. And A lot of folks in the fan base were frustrated that the quarterbacks weren't throwing and Michigan was, was too dependent on the run and, and couldn't do it when they needed to if they had to pass. And when we watched the tape, we saw that Wisconsin, or excuse me, Washington, had kept those safeties back in the, you know, back at twelve yards deep, and and just challenged their front to to man up and and make those plays, and they never did. So I think all of the other teams since then, in you know weeks three, four, and five, you know Rutgers and uh, Wisconsin um, certainly, or Niu also saw what Washington's mistake there and and have sold out against the run with their personnel, right? They're bringing uh, an extra guy into the box. They are stacking guys as the uh, overhang defenders on the edge, right? To, to use their alignment and leverage to make sure that Michigan can't get outside. And it's, it's shown in the change in results for Blake Horman and Hassan Haskins to, to Harbaugh's, you know, point, but what that means is that now it's it's time for Gattis to counter the counter right where okay now show how we're going to use our passing game and maybe some of those RPOs to put those guys in conflict and now that everybody's up close to the line of scrimmage it's time to to press the press the ball down the field and stretch vertically you
0: know that's exactly what happened on the flea flicker it was interesting because Wisconsin came up, stacked, used that overhang defender, and then Gaddis used Roman Wilson in motion to kind of um, warp the defensive alignment even more. And again, just just a really nice play call, really nice taking advantage of Wisconsin selling out on the run. Um, One of the things that um, Coach Harbaugh mentioned was, again, was how great the defense was, and he specifically highlighted – Uh, you know Josh Ross who was questionable heading into that game and not only did he play but he played very well and and also uh, he cited the play of Aiden Hutchinson
1: Austin Jim with Josh Ross sometimes when there's a scheme change and there's a like a fifth year senior who maybe was recruited for a different scheme that can be a a difficult uh, transition
2: what does it say about him that uh, he's been able to adapt so well and just how pivotal has he been to the mentality shift on defense? Uh, huge. I mean, he's, uh, you know, with him and Aiden are right at their top. I mean, you, those two leaders are, uh, along with Brad Hawkins and, you know, Brad's been doing the, some of the same stuff, you know, open field tackles and coverage. Uh, but those of you guys have done a tremendous job leading the, the team on defense uh, since winter conditioning, since spring ball through the summer. Uh, yeah, we're not, we're not, um, you know, very far, far along without them, you know, leading the way, but, uh, as good a leader as you can have, you know, and I think I said it before, I mean, playing as good as any inside linebacker that's played here since I've been here, which is, that's saying a lot. Last question for Larry. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, you can see in a mock draft where he is, and you can see him on Saturday making plays all over. Where is he? Uh, Really high, close to one, maybe one. Um, That's awesome. The NFL keeps asking us for more pictures of him. So um, my question for you is what don't we see in terms of whether it's his upbringing or his preparation, his maturity, what what don't we see that makes him as good as he is? I think you see it all. I think you really do. I mean, he's – He's transparent as a baggie. You know, he is, uh, what you see is what you get. I mean, he just, he, uh, he loves football. He, uh, he's a great teammate. He's a great leader. He does everything right. Um, I still, first thing that pops out to my mind and, uh, you know, when he, when he went into the strength coaches back in January and said, every day I come in here, ring me out, uh. Make sure I get uh, get my money's worth, and um, you know everything. Just make me do it, even on the days that I I may not want to do it. And um, and, I, and we said, yeah, okay, it's an all you can eat buffet here in the weight room. And uh, and he was. They did, and he did. I mean, it didn't have a bad day. Just attacked it uh, the entire off season and. And I also go back and observe that David Ajabo was in his hip pocket every 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 one of those workouts. And that tells you how smart David Ajabo is. And uh you can see him reaping the reaping the benefits right now. So yeah. Couldn't couldn't say enough good things, but I think you know everything there is to know about Aiden Hutchinson.
1: Yeah, I think At all three levels of the defense, I would add, you know, Daxton Hill to that mix. I really think those three guys are playing at a very, very high level. And that, you know, having that, that superior play in your front with Aiden Hutchinson on the edge in the heart of your defense with Josh Ross and then kind of a a jack of all trades on the exterior and even deep with Dax Hill. It, it provides you know, three key ingredients to where McDonald can, can dial up anything that he wants because he's got really a, a, a superior personnel talent and, and, and the experience to, uh, to do different things with those guys. And, I mean, the most important play of the game, I think, for the defense was the, the first third down after halftime. He dials up a nickel blitz on third and nine, and Dax Hill disguises it beautifully, does not even take off on his blitz until after the snap of the ball. And Mertz never sees him coming, and when the Hutchinson dropped off the line of scrimmage, or I think it was Hutchinson, but one of the defensive ends drops off the line of scrimmage right into a passing lane. Mertz has to hold the ball for an extra, uh, an extra second, and that allows Dax Hill to get there, and he hits him perfectly cleanly and legally. And um, that's the last play that Mertz is in the game, you know, and that, that changes the outlook. Exactly. So um, those guys playing at a high level, Hutchinson and Ross. And like I said, I would, I'd put Hill into that same conversation. That is the, uh, that's the foundation uh, that allows McDonald to really be creative and, and disguise what Michigan wants to do.
0: So before we get to Nebraska, one of the interesting things that was highlighted in the press conference this week was that Mike McDonald has basically imported the Baltimore Ravens defense to Michigan and I, I think that that's really huge in a number of ways first, um, although the Michigan you know this is a new scheme for the Michigan defense they're able to watch game tape and, and game film of the Ravens playing. That's how much of a one-for-one one, um, uh, transfer of the defense that is brought in. So they're able to watch NFL pro game tape and, and see the um, concepts that they're trying to execute at the collegiate level. So um, I thought that was interesting. The other thing that it does is that, you know, again, we always talk about how important recruiting is so if you're a defensive prospect you have to look at how well the Michigan defense is executing right now and also you have to appreciate that if you come to Michigan and you're in this scheme that you're going to be running an NFL like scheme that will help you have lots of game tape as teams at the next level are looking at you so you know, first, it's great that it's effective, but, uh, you know, I don't think you can overemphasize how important this could be re- for recruiting
1: down the road. Yeah, I think that's true, certainly. And uh, another angle on that same point is it it helps guys understand the mix of skills that, that are required, you know, and, and to be successful, not only at this level, in college, but also at the next level in the NFL, right? What type of hybrid players are um, are kind of the, the new um, stars of the day in the NFL, right? Like Daxton Hill got a specific mention from uh, in McDonald's uh, radio interview talking about he can do whatever you want. When the pro guys come talk to me, I let them know he can play a true free safety for you if you're if that's your scheme, you can be like uh, like what we're using them as is a hybrid between a nickel corner and a safety or, or, or you know, up on the line of scrimmage or up in the box linebacker at times. Um, or you can be outside as a corner. He's got all of these different skills. So not only um, can you sell that to recruits with the scheme and that they'll understand the X's and O's of an NFL uh, defense and its framework but also that they are going to develop kids and and try to teach them the skills that are necessary to be very versatile and and fit into some of these hybrid roles where you're more marketable from a football standpoint in the draft because you you can play corner or safety or you might be a a 4-3 defensive end or or a 3-4 linebacker, you know, like Chase Winovich and and Rashawn Gary are both playing linebacker in 3-4 defenses. You know, building those guys uh, with versatility and flexibility to scheme means that there are more teams in the draft that might draft you. And and that is uh, very, very valuable, uh, to your point. But um, it's also going to be nice to see. We're going to put more guys like this into the draft. And uh, it's just going to be cool to see and and certainly can be leveraged when you're you're talking to a prospect and his family, for sure.
0: So... This week, Michigan faces Nebraska. Three and three overall, undefeated at home, one and two in the conference. A real mixed bag for the Cornhuskers this year, in what is a critical season for Scott Frost. After having some uh, getting called for some shenanigans in the off season, um, you know they say if you're going to get caught bending the rules, you better at least be winning. And uh, definitely a, a pivotal season for him. I think that you know this has all the earmarks of a uh, of a game of a trap game, right? Um, Michigan definitely was primed for Wisconsin. You look at the record for Nebraska and can think that they're you know uh, mediocre, but they're tough at home, and uh, you know this is going to be a tough game for the Wolverines. How do you see it shaping up? Uh,
1: for me, I think Nebraska, I, I, I can understand why both the SP Plus and the Vegas line are sitting at three, three and a half. First of all, there's a, a certainly a home field advantage playing in Lincoln. You know, they, they have a very long sellout streak in Lincoln. The fans are very, very passionate fans. It's going to be a night game, right? And And they are coming off of a... Absolute shellacking of Northwestern. So they kind of got their, um, their get right game and everybody's starting to, you know, wonder, maybe, maybe this team is starting to figure it out and turn the corner. And here comes a test into town with, uh, with Michigan. So they're going to be amped up. It's going to be a, a night game crowd. There's going to be a lot, a lot more energy in that stadium this week than I think there was, uh, in Madison at an 11 a.m. local time kickoff. For a team that just came off a loss to Notre Dame, right? That two different, uh, totally different environments, you know, first and foremost. Uh, with that said, you know, I think Nebraska is pretty balanced. They're, they're strong on offense, right? With a, a dual threat quarterback and some option game, um, you know, kind of built in the mold of, of Scott Frost himself with Adrian Martinez. Their defense has been really, really strong, strongest that he's had in, uh, in Lincoln since he took over. Right now, SB Plus says their defense ranked 20th, um, which will be the second best defense that they've played uh, after Wisconsin. So I, just in those two unit-for-unit unit matchups, it looks to be close, right? And, and then you factor in the environment, and it, it seems like it should be a close game there's two huge differences that I think that Michigan has very very large advantages number one is special teams Nebraska has been absolutely awful on special teams this year both punting and kicking um, they, they've missed uh, I think half of their field goal attempts uh, and this is somebody that's been reliable in the past and he's he's struggling with uh, consistency this year you know from different distances he's got a strong leg but but it's just missing kicks And then punting, they've had three or four different punters. And and I think I saw at one point they were holding like an open tryout to see if there was anybody on their campus that could come in and and consistently punt the ball with, uh, with enough hang time that their, that their coverage units could be, could have a reasonable chance. And I think that they played really well. Nebraska played really well in East Lansing against uh, Michigan State two weeks ago. But we're really done in 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 the fourth quarter when they they called a punt coverage to the right. Ten guys are going to cover a punt on the right half of the field, and the punter kicked it to the left half of the field. And, uh, you know, Jaden Reed from Michigan State just catches the ball and takes off the sideline pretty much unharassed right into the end zone. And there was a picture of that play from behind (laughs) Michigan State's returner, Jaden Reed, and you see him with the ball and the end zone and the stands and there's not a red shirt in the screen I mean how how do you have a guy catch a punt and there's nobody even in the picture so I just I can't imagine that they're going to get that corrected in a matter of weeks right with with the problems they've had and, and then the reverse of that is Michigan has been really really strong on special teams so I expect to see at least one really key big play on special teams in Michigan's favor in this game. And then the other major difference is, um, Michigan's playing pretty mistake free and is taking care of the football. You know, and that's, you know, that's the opposite of what we're seeing from Nebraska. Nebraska tends to put three or four solid plays together on offense where they look really good and they're moving the ball. And then out of nowhere, inexplicably, they just, you know, they miss an option pitch, right? Pitch it over the running back's head and it's, it's just laying there in the grass or, or, um, totally miss a blocking assignment and then the quarterback gets, uh, gets blindsided. Um, Martinez, there's so much on his plate as a dual threat quarterback. He tends to force the ball, right? He, he'll push the ball down into coverage and, uh, a lot of balls get deflected, you know, and if, if it's up into the air, then, then that's going to cause turnovers. So, I just think that there's too much risk, too much variance with what they're doing on offense, that Michigan's gonna be able to cash in and uh create some big plays and I definitely expect to see Michigan create some big plays on special teams. So um I expect I predicted Michigan to win by nineteen in the preseason and I don't see much right now to change that expected gap. You know, I, I kinda lowered the the point total for each team. Because the defenses are better than I thought they'd be in the preseason. But I still think Michigan's going to win by by three scores.
0: So I think the key to this game is the Michigan defense encouraging Martinez to run as much as possible. And the reason I say that is at the end of every one of those runs is going to be two or three or four Michigan defenders. And I think that's just going to wear on, on Martinez. I, I mean, I see this as a, a game of an attrition where hopefully, and again, um, you know, you never want to see a player hurt. That's not what I'm saying. But you can definitely see um, an attrition of hits uh, accumulating on Martinez and impacting his play. And I think with what we saw against Wisconsin – if I was a dual-threat quarterback, I would be um, leaning towards staying back in the pocket and throwing. And uh, you know, I, I, it, so it'll be interesting to see um, what Mike McDonald dials up. Again, I I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Michigan defense kind of um, uh, play back a little bit and and encourage the run and and see how that goes. So. Um, the other thing is, as good as Nebraska looked against Northwestern, um, I think the same way we were saying that this is not a vintage year for Wisconsin, this is not a vintage year for Northwestern. And, um, you know, uh, definitely, you know, Northwestern is, is a very solid football program, but every, all the dials are coming up this year as being a down year. And, um, you know, I think when you see Northwestern shellacking them, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Nebraska shellacking Northwestern, that just kind of proves the point. I am, uh, you know, in the preseason, I was predicting 31-23. Right now, uh, I'm predicting 34-10. And uh, definitely, I think the Michigan defense is is coming into its own. And I think, uh, you know, I think you made a great point that, Uh, if special teams breaks out, it it may be more than three scores. So um, I think that um, the same way that Michigan was able to um, basically announce itself back as a rising program by beating Wisconsin handily on the road, I think that it's equally as important to follow through and um, do the same thing to Nebraska, right? They'll come out and and don't let there be a letdown. Um, you know, uh, and you know, we've seen in the last game that coach Harbaugh is going to mix JJ McCarthy in. So I think that this is an opportunity for the offense to, um, to flex a little bit and to see, to give, um, both quarterbacks a chance to play in a hostile environment. Again, it's going to be a night game. I'm still surprised that, um, that Wisconsin wasn't a night game. And I know the way the scheduling worked out, but um, I think they would have they would have liked everything in their favor that they could. Um, you know, I do like that we christened uh, the newly announced Barry Alvarez field with such a thumping. And uh, I think that um, Michigan's going to be looking to come out and, and put another thumping on Nebraska the same way they did Wisconsin.
1: Yep. I I agree with that. Absolutely. And you, for one thing that you said that I wanted to to definitely echo is that both the Wisconsin game and the Nebraska game are must wins. You know, I mean, the, the fact that those teams are struggling this season and, and aren't necessarily uh, the sharpest that they've been in their program's history. It just means that, that there's no, there's no excuse for you for as Michigan to not play well and, and win the game, you know, and, and, and continue on the trajectory that you're on. Right. There's, um, it, it, it just means that you have to play cleanly and get the job done, that there's no, you know, well, there's no moral victories here. You have to win the game and and you should, you should look sharp. Now, an ugly victory is fine on the road, right? It's still, like I say, going to be a tough environment, but, um, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able if they play well to, to win the game um, the other part of what you said um, that I wanted to echo was I think that there's some extra motivation here for not necessarily the players that are currently on the roster but um, people that have been involved with the program right I, I you know I'm old enough to remember 2016 when scott frost brought central florida to the big house and got you know thumped by 40 points or so and then had the uh had the uh, the audacity in the postgame press conference to say that you know they had out michigan right and, and now um you know a nebraska defender was asked about uh you know michigan's run game being kind of the core of their offensive attack and what did he think of, uh, you know, the fact that Michigan's going to try to run the ball? And, you know, his answer was basically bring it on. You know, that got uh, picked up uh, specifically by Blake Corum and is, you know, kind of being tracked. So there's already a little bit of uh, posturing and a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of saber rattling going into this game. So it's it's going to be a very very tough, physical, hard nosed game, and the team that makes fewer big mistakes is, is going to win, in my opinion. And uh, with what we've seen so far in the 21 season, um, I, think it's a, I think it's a large edge to Michigan in terms of being the less mistake-prone team.
0: Well, when we talk about Scott Frost, I need no more motivation than what happened in 1997 when Nebraska stole a portion of Michigan's national championship. And I will, I will never forget. I will never forgive. Um, you know, one of the nice things that we have with the current system of college football playoffs is that you are not beholden to the voting and to just the absolute theft that happened back then. And, uh, I will not forget. And uh, I I don't need any more motivation, but definitely the, uh, yeah, we hit hard, Scott Frost, uh, that helps. But I I, I think back to 97, and I think of what happened there, and yeah, that's that's more than enough for me. Um, What I think Michigan needs to do, and I was thinking this as we were watching the Rutgers game. Michigan was headed, you know, out of halftime with the game well in hand. And I always come back to, um, you know, out of the movie, you know, leave no doubt, right? And I remember thinking, okay, leave no doubt, right? And Rutgers kind of uh, rose up and and bit back and and made that a very tough game. And, you know, watching the Wisconsin Wisconsin game, it was leave no doubt, and I don't think Michigan did. I think, you know, when you're a team like Michigan that – nationally is not nearly as highly regarded as it used to be right um coming into the game on un- or coming into the season unranked michigan not only has to be perfect but they have to be resolute and they have to leave no doubt in all the games they can where they are expected to win they need to dominate because they need to claw their way up and um you know, Gain respect again And I think that um, Wisconsin uh, was a partial Restoration of that respect It's going to take all year But um, the respect can be Lost by a loss to Nebraska Or even a tight game here So as Michigan is On a tour to Restore itself to past glory um, Playing well And thumping Nebraska Is, is a continuation of that effort
1: yeah, I think there's there's a clear opportunity here to differentiate uh, this Michigan team from Michigan teams of the past few seasons. And even, you know, using, you know, from a fan perspective and a national media perspective, you know, this Nebraska team w- was hanging around and at least within striking distance against Oklahoma. So if Michigan can really put together a full, complete game and, and, and dominate – on the scoreboard and on the field, the way that we saw against Wisconsin, then you're you're going to use that transitive property in the national narrative that uh, well you know Nebraska was within a touchdown against Oklahoma and if, if Michigan pushed it out to multiple scores, then you know I think people are going to going to use that as a comparison tool when uh, you know if it comes time to compare Michigan against uh, teams like Oklahoma or other. You know, Big 12 teams. So it it's a big game for sure. Prime time. You know, ABC, and uh, a really a great atmosphere. We know Nebraska fans are going to bring it. Um, there is a, a slightly different challenge to kind of sitting around all day on the road and uh, preparing for a night game and, and trying to kind of manage your adrenaline and, and to get, you know, to to get your emotional. Uh, mindset and and get the juices flowing at the right time not too early right you don't want to peak too early in the afternoon and then have to try to get up again uh, for game time so there's there's a little bit of a challenge to that but um, I feel comfortable now that Michigan's uh, players and and the leaders in the locker room have a much better understanding of, of how to manage those things and how to lead by example, and bring their teammates with them. And, and I expect them to play well and uh, hopefully get off to a good start, get the crowd out of it, and uh, really leave no doubt, uh, like you said, and really thump Nebraska and Lincoln and make a statement uh, going into the bye week.
0: It'll be interesting to see one of the things that Michigan also did at Wisconsin was um, you know, steal their enthusiasm, right? It'll be interesting if they can go into Nebraska and do something similar, like be energized by the crowd, and um, you know take the crowd out of it and and kind of make the stadium their own. So definitely going to have a lot to see. Um, I think in the end, Michigan has too many weapons and it's going to overwhelm Nebraska, and I hope that's what we see. So that's going to do it. For this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast, this is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Derringer.
0: Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.